Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I think creativity makes the world go around, and I love talking to people that do it. So today my guest is Alex Liu. He is the co-director and also the star of a new documentary called A Sexplanation. Alex is a health reporter, and in this film, he sets out on a journey to uncover the naked truths and hard facts about sex education in America, including his own sex education, which filled him with shame for a lot of years. So needless to say, this is a topic I find very interesting and I relate to a lot, and it was really fun to talk to Alex about his movie. But before we get into that, I want to remind you that there are now two ways you can listen to the show. Uh, You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app. Or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I am part of a collective of really great shows. And for $12.95 a month, you'll get access to my show earlier, as well as be able to listen to all these other great shows like Perfect Date with Tom Goss, who's my pal and who's been on the podcast. There's a show called The Focus Group. It's really interesting. Adam Sank, who's hilarious. Derek and Romaine, the flagship show. Anyway, you can learn more about that at dnrstudios.com. Also, I have a voicemail, so if you ever want to ask a question or make a comment about anything you hear on the podcast, you can leave a message at 1-888-647-9653. And now, without any further plugs, here is the interview with Alex Liu. Joining me now via Zoom, it's Alex Liu. He's coming to me. Are you in San Francisco, Alex? I did, no, no. To... I, we, we actually just moved to a, to a small little hobby farm in, in central New York. So, so uh, living farm life as much as we can these days. Yeah. You're, you, dropped, you dropped off the city life and you're now in the country. You're doing a Green <laughs> Acres thing. A little bit. Uh, you know, um, we, 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 we did all post-production of the films for a couple days in a studio for sound uh, remote. Uh, so that really opened up the world to me in terms of where I could live and being a documentary filmmaker. I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't pay that well. So, so it feels a little more, uh, livable. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So the movie we're here to talk about is called a sexplanation. It's an exploration of sex in America, education around sex, feelings about sex, shame, all of that stuff. I really related to a lot of it. Um, you appear in it as well as you're the filmmaker uh, mm-hmm. Tell me how it all began, this idea. Okay, I'll, I'll try to be short. That's uh, all right. Do your thing. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, I think this has been something that I needed to uh, put out into the world for, for a really long time. I, I think, you know, going, especially going through puberty, teens, 20s, I was just such an angry child, angry person, because, uh, you know, being gay, being queer, uh, the world did not prepare me and my family to go through uh, what that meant, how I would feel. You know, I think every day um, just felt so much like the, the world didn't want me and I didn't belong. And so I think that anger was, was very useful in many ways. It, it gave my sense, my, my life a sense of purpose and meaning in terms of, you know, I became a health reporter to help uh, shed light on issues I think people misunderstand. Um, I, I was on the front lines for the freedom to marry, uh, you know, in the 2000s, trying to fight for queer rights. But I think by the time I hit my 30s, I was angry, but mostly just exhausted. You know, it was not sustainable way to construct my life around. And, and um, I think through therapy, through, you know, finally just talking with some friends and, and, and finding someone who, who I'm currently married to, you know, I started to realize that anger was, was really just a way for me to control and mask 
and deflect from from the real deep shame I still had as a queer person, as a gay person, um, and 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 how it, it it permeated kind of all aspects of my life the shame. And so, um, my training as a health reporter, um, you know, I started thinking, how do we get rid of shame? How does the how does the world deal with sexual shame, a shame that maybe made sense if, if it did at all uh, for survival, you know, 2000 years ago, but today in today's day and age, it makes very little sense. And, and I think, um, you know, I started to learn there was some amazing sex education curriculum made in the seventies, made in the eighties, uh, that really could help people kind of process all people, not just gay people, but especially gay people, uh, process, uh, you know, what is this thing called human sexuality? What are the agendas? What are the, the, um, you know, other philosophies that maybe constructed your sexual morality in ways that maybe don't comport with who you are and the health and uh, your mental health or well-being. Um, and, and it became clear that because in America, school curricula is so tied to local elections, um, it's just there's just no school board member who's going to run on a campaign of like, let's normalize anal sex. Let's talk about masturbation. You know, it, it's 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 a it's a losing campaign platform. So, yeah, so, so I kind of thought, well, you know, I had the science background. I have this health reporting background. Uh, let's see if I can go around the country uh, and Canada to figure out um, how, how do I talk and deal with my own sexual shame uh, and, and, and film every aspect of it, no matter how awkward. Well, you have some great conversations along the way. It's quite an odyssey. Um, you start off talking with your parents and about, you know, what they told you or didn't tell you growing up. My parents didn't tell me anything about sex. I related mm-hmm. so much to your story because I think it's the one aspect of my thought that is totally different than it would have been even 10 years ago. Like, I I think differently about it. I always thought there was shame around it. I was raised Mormon. So mm. there was always, you know, it's okay to be gay, but sluts are bad. Right. You know, or I remember saying this one thing to a friend of mine and I cringe at the thought of it. (laughs) I cringe at the thought of it because it was so, it was so haughty and, and it was just me like being judgmental, but also afraid of my own sexuality. And I remember saying Mm. to him, I'm going to say this, I'm cringing even as I say it. You know what? We're only as sick as as our secrets. I remember saying... (laughs) Well, if you want sex to mean something, you have to treat it like it does. Oh, shut up, Dennis. You, that's so gross. That's so gross that I thought that. Um, yeah, so your parents didn't really give you a talk, right? And neither did mine. And they all think school's doing it, but schools, nobody's doing it, right? Well, what, what schools are doing is what I would call more pregnancy and disease education, maybe puberty education. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the framework of most of what we would call sex education in schools is really kind of a, a public health mandate to control teen pregnancy and STIs, which laudable goals. I, I, I'm all for that. Um, but that's just such a small, small portion of what sex is. Pregnancy and disease is like a very small amount of sex ends up in pregnancy or disease. Uh, mostly it is incredibly fun, incredibly bonding, incredibly meaningful, uh, incredibly playful. You know, it's all the, the best parts of being a human being. And those are the parts that we really have questions about. How do we make sure sex goes well? Uh, and that's something that no school, and I get it, it sex is such a values-based uh, you know, part of being a human that, that, it, that it's tricky for schools to discuss. But if it's not happening in the home, it has to happen somewhere. And, and so I think 
the, the, the film is, is kind of a, an argument about why we all should be talking about sex in all parts of our lives, not just school, home, and kind of everywhere, and, and how much more healthy and, and humane that actually, of a society that actually would be. Yeah, I invented this box party game called You Don't Know My Life, which is it's related, trust me. Uh, so we were hosting a game night, and there, there, one of the questions that comes up is, how did you learn the facts of life? And there were two exchange students that happened to be there from Korea, and so everyone's writing down their answers. And theirs was, we learned in second grade in school. And I was like, second grade? And they were like, yeah, we just learned it. Like, they had none of the, yeah, it was just a thing you learned. It was just like learning math. And mm-hmm. America's kind of an outlier around this stuff. Is that what you found in your explore- oh, exploration? Especially, yeah, especially considering how wealthy we are. Um, and, and especially considering our media. You know, if you would look at our media, if you're an alien looking at our media and just, just looking at the movies and TV uh, we produce what is the most sexually liberal, liberated country in the world. You probably think U.S. is really high up there. Um, but but we're really good at the kind of commercial side of sex. You know, we're really using good at using sex to sell things. Right. But we're really not good at having sex. I think most people are more comfortable having sex than talking about sex. Well, that, that's that's unfair. But I think at the beginning, you know, you know, more, more people are willing to actually just jump into bed with someone rather than talk through what they really are feeling or experiencing in that moment, which I, and it should definitely be the other way around. Yeah. How religious was your upbringing? Because I was raised Mormon and my parents weren't super into it. My dad wasn't Mormon at all, but it was, I went to church and there was like sin and guilt and all of that stuff. How big a deal was that for you? I think by the time um, I I was conscious of of being able to form memories, both my parents were questioning big time uh, what the purpose of the Catholic Church was in their life. So we went, but it was more perfunctory, I think. Right. Um, I, I mean, you definitely heard kind of the fire and brimstone a little bit about like what it meant to be a good sexual being, which was kind of like, you know, abstinence. Um, but, but I think, you know, um, by the time I was 12, we, we weren't going to church anymore. It was, it was clear that the Catholic church kind of had no real, uh, had nothing really to say to help us through our spiritual moral life at, at that moment. And so, um, but I think the cultural kind of the culture of the Catholic church was still very strong and, you know, which is, you know, be modest, don't talk about these things, you know, keep your head down. And, and I think, um, that was something that took a long time for us. And I, if I, if I weren't, Gay. I don't know if we would ever have talked been talked about these topics. We were kind of forced to as a family, right? That came up recently in another podcast I did that that somehow gay people are the ones that sometimes bring up the awkward conversations because they've already had to do it once. So oh yeah, that, that once becomes you, once you come, come out, out as gay, yeah, especially yeah. if you came out before the year two thousand. Like like who, every, everything else is so easy. <laughs> like right. there's really nothing else. Like what other taboo can you really break? As long as, you know, you know, there, there are other things that are, I think, immoral and you should be ashamed of. But for yeah. the most part, being gay, like once you've said that and you've survived that, everything else is, is, is a cakewalk. As a teenager, I remember feeling so much guilt about masturbation. So much. I felt like yeah. it was the only thing I was doing wrong. Yeah. And I would look for, like, hints in literature and, like, there was some Mormon pamphlet. And there was, like, one line about it. Like, it was something that everyone was doing, everyone was obsessed with, nobody was talking about. I was full of yeah. shame around it, and I would be like, I'm yeah. not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it. I know. And, I know. But you, the constant battle. Right. Yeah. And and things got pretty dark for you as a teenager, right? You've, you really, you, in the doc, you say you considered suicide. Oh, yeah. I, I think suicidal ideation is kind of just because of the culture I was brought up in is something that is kind of always be part of who I am. It'll be something I always have to, to be aware, kind of conscious of because, because it is something that, that pops up. But, but I think, you know, I, I think a lot about that, that, that my first orgasm, 
was a moment of pure terror. It was a moment of, you know, you know, just, just fear. And, and, and I was, and, and sadness really. And, and, and the, the feeling of being just so desperately alone in that moment. And, and that's just such a, it just, it really should not be like that. The, a person's first orgasm should be like, you know, a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Right. You know, it, it should, shouldn't be terror. It, sh- it should be a celebration of, yes. of coming into your sexuality. Something that, that I think, um, unfortunately for most people, um, they, they, they don't experience it. They, they, it is a moment of confusion, I think. And, and, and that if you really think about it, that, that makes, that's just so sad and makes very little sense of, of how we would want anyone to, to be raised. Well, I'm a big fan of the musical Spring Awakening, which is based on this old book about how adults do such a disservice to young people by not teaching them about what's going on in their bodies and mm-hmm. attraction and sex and desire, all that stuff, and the damage it does. Mm-hmm. And we never learn. You would yeah. think that, like, what happens to people between being – teenagers and grown-ups what do they forget what it was like <laughs> like i never really fantasize about being a parent that much and i don't think i would be that great at it but i would have a fucking sex talk i could do that in fact i want to yeah. do it i think i have flashcards yeah. somewhere that i could prepare like i don't understand what happens I, I, to people and why uh, yeah. we never evolve uh, as a society on this I think, I mean, I mean, you can see it in our culture now, and and I'm even I now I'm crazy. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be careful of what I say because, um, it you know I think the idea of talking to, uh, in some way we have, like, idolized this idea of a perfect innocent child, um, that that somehow that the mention of of sexuality will somehow, you know, sully them, damage them, uh, rob them of their innocence. And, and I think that's not true, that that children from birth, even in the womb, understand that their body is a source of pleasure. They understand that there are certain people with whom, uh, you know, it, it's more fun to be around and people who are not fun to be around and people whom you need to be careful of. They're, they're, they, they understand, I think kids understand very, very clearly that there is this draw and attraction to other human beings, but it's very confusing to understand how to process and navigate that in a way that's safe. And they need help from adults. And, and, and to my argument to that is, no, 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 a child loses their innocence the moment they realize an adult that they should have been able to trust destroys that trust. But that is, to me, the, what would destroy someone of their innocence. And 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 by keeping kids ignorant and by keeping this thing away from them, which you can never do, it, it is part of being in a human, in, in human culture. And But all you teach your child is that you are not a safe person to talk about these things, that they, they should never come to you about these things. And, and that just drives them further away and, and makes bad, ill-informed, risky choices even more prevalent. It, it's such a hard thing to talk about because I get it, because most most parents never got this either. So, and, and they're so afraid of child abuse uh, that, 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 that they'll do whatever it takes. The safest message just seems to be like, don't say no. I mean, just, just say no, just say no. Um, but As though they but were really, never teenagers themselves. It's, they acted like, like they could just, that they were never the things that they were, that they're trying to supposedly advocate for. It's, I don't quite understand it, and it just keeps perpetuating. I, I, I have a lot of empathy for parents because I think the culture around them, you know, from top down, from from everyone around them, tells them that 
you you have failed as a parent if your child engages in sexual activity too young. Like, I, I think that there is that level. You know, the shame is just so pervasive in our culture um, that that there really is no escape for some people. And 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 people people react to shame very. very I mean, I wanted to kill myself. You know, it's it's very very difficult to to deal if if, if you feel like you're not going to belong because of the way you are, your 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 child is. Um, I, I get it. I have a lot of empathy there. So, so I think, I, 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 though I disagree, and I think that the, like a lot of parents who, who especially who are against sex ed, um, um, are, are in fact, you know, per- perpetuating a system that makes things worse. The, the, the very outcomes that they don't want. Um, I, I, I think the more we can come together in some way with parents talking to parents or having sex ed for parents or whatever it takes. I, I think we all need an education around this because it's it's just not in our cultural DNA to, to talk about this. Right. And I've carried this stuff for, for years, even still when I try to. The other night I had a massage by, it was like a hot guy massage. It wasn't super <laughs> erotic, but it had, it, it wasn't, it was, it had an element of that. And it was oh, me yeah. going, I can enjoy this. Just enjoy this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just I, enjoy, I, we're, it's we're, okay we're to enjoy afraid. this. We're very afraid of, of, pleasure and i think uh it's i I get it it's a very anglo-saxon you know puritan ideal that suffering is the way to godliness and good um and 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 it is so so baked into many cultures not not just the american um but i think if you really think about it um and it's if you're very religious it's hard it's hard to it's hard to break that bubble but i think if you really think about it um, you know, we were born to, to, you know, pleasure is one of the, the best parts about being a human. It's, it's our birthright. And I think the more we can maximize it while also minimizing harm and uh, harm to others, I think should be the goal. Yeah. I wrote down this line from your movie. We rarely use the word pleasure. One of your experts talked about that. Mm-hmm. I believe it was, it might've been Kristen Gilbert. Is, is that, that, that was a Dr. Yarbrough from the Kinsey Institute. Oh, right on. Institute. It was that yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You go to the Kinsey Institute. What was it like? Did it feel it's, like a, it's, just an institution? Because the, yeah, the images funny. looked like a college, right? Yeah, it, it's it's nothing. It's not sexy at all. It is yeah. like any other. There's no beanbag chairs or lava lamps yeah. or no, no. It's 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 very much like a uh, a uh, like an institution. standard public university institution. They take, they take it very seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, just like every every public university, they they're hurting for money. They need more money. They need money to do the research. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a lovely group of, of sex nerds who are trying their best to, to, to get Americans the good, accurate information about how to think about sex and sexuality. Yeah, I love the term sex nerds because your movie's full of them. My favorite yeah. is, is Kristen Gilbert. I love her. Oh, I wonderful. wish she she's was in my beautiful. life. I wish I could go I to brunch with her. And of course, she's exactly. not even American, right? She's from Canada. <laughs> right. Which might, be, which might help her a little bit in this regard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, a, she's a nursing professor who's kind of like the person you call in British Columbia if, if things are going really bad in your school when it comes to sex and sexuality to help the community talk it through. And yeah. And she gives a beautiful definition of sex that, that has stuck with me and, and the crew for, 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 and probably will for our entire lives. I wish we could publish that whole, that whole interview. Cause it was all just so much weight was being lifted as she kind of explained that 
the base the basic premise of like you know everything you do is sexual has or has some sexual component. right the way you toss your hair the way you wear your hat yeah. you know yeah everything is around your tea like i suddenly yeah. turned into a song but yeah <laughs> but it's part of us in everything yeah. that we do and, and the idea that somehow you can repress or control or present something that that is that you think should be right that doesn't comport with who you are is ultimately a losing battle if, if the goal of your life is to be happy and healthy. Um, and so, you know, rather than fight it, why don't you try to, to, to lean into it and, and play with it, and have fun with it because, and yes, um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, paint a picture of too many puppies and rainbows. That might mean the people in your life right now might not be in your life if, if you decide to do that. Um, but, but I, in my life, at least in my life, being more open and vulnerable has has drawn the people that truly know me who, who for who I am and love me for who I am and and that's I mean that's a feeling that's that that's you know second to none. Yeah, there's a really interesting sequence in the movie where you you go into an MRI and you masturbate and they scan <laughs> yeah. your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the scan look like? Did you look at did you look at yeah, yeah. Afterwards? So uh, not not to brag, right? But, uh, no, my, go my, for my, it. My brain is on the cover of the Journal of Sexual Medicine. It is. That's <laughs> yeah. so cool. The, the, yeah, the, the the study that came out in 2020, and it's just like any other brain scan. I mean, they're really doing like like the, like uh, Dr. Barry Komisarik and Nan Wise, who, who are doing this research, studying uh, orgasms and an MRI machine. Uh, they're they're really just trying to do the very basic work of like how are your erogenous zones connected in your brain? Like where in your brain do you experience sexual pleasure and sensation? And of course the be all end all the orgasm. Yeah. What's happening. And, and I think, I mean, I mean, they're doing the very basic mapping and they they can't even tell you what's really going on. They can just tell you what parts of the brain are lighting up. You know, we, we know so little, we don't, we don't even really have a great definition of what an orgasm is. Like, is it more like a sneeze? Is it more like a seizure? Like, like what is actually going on? Um, and, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's just so sad to me that, I mean, I get it in a certain way that money should go to cure the worst diseases, help the most people. Um, but you know, sex is one of those things that the, the sexual relationships in your life are the ones that you'll carry with you for your entire life. The ones you'll be thinking about on your deathbed are the ones that have the most meaning, the ones that you're most bonded to. So, so why not try to understand all the good sex brings to our life? Because, you know, what's the point of, of, of living if we're, if we're not trying to maximize the best parts of it? Yeah, I had a financial um, literacy teacher through an organization called the Actors Fund. And she used to say, you're going to have a relationship with money no matter what. You can choose <laughs> if it's a good one or a bad one, but you're not That's getting right. out of it. Right. And I feel like it's yeah. the same thing with your sexuality. You are going to have a relationship with your sexuality. Yeah. You're not, there's, you can't just shut down. It's not going to, that's yeah. not going to happen. So is it going to be positive? Or is it going to be not? Is it going to be healthy? Right. Or is it going that, to be not? That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think for too long, myself and others um, have thought that we can put ourselves into a box to somehow find love. But ultimately, that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, I don't know if I would have been able to deliver in the MRI machine. Oh, I didn't think I could either. I was, it was, I mean, it's literally like, I was like in the last five seconds, you know, because they, <laughs> they, they count you down 10 minutes. Oh, you know, the first 50. The first 50 minutes are like readings. They're, they're getting basic readings are all around the body. Right. Um, and, and then they, you have 10 minutes of, of freestyle masturbation. 
uh, and they hope, and you but hope. I you love get the it. free. I love the term freestyle. That's yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. However, I wanted to do it. Yeah. Right. It, it, Whatever. It, yeah. You know, <laughs> this is. It's like not the compulsory <laughs> right, style. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like oh, the yeah, last it, it dance was... on Dancing with the Stars, where they the stars get to do whatever style <laughs> they want. Uh, but it's, you, uh, but you did, you did succeed. At yeah, that. yeah. It was, um, you know, I, I knew it might be tough, so I made sure not to jerk off for a while before then. And uh, yeah, I, I think that experience was it was a big, you know, uh, part of the movie where I realized that that at that point in filming, I thought, you know, this is this is interesting for me to be part of the study, but. You know, that it's just like to, you know, have have some sort of story and, and the story would not be about my own personal shame as much. But I think doing that may and, and because I had so much shame, like in the right. Week after this is doing about that, your odyssey. That's the way the film yeah, is. Yeah, like framed. like 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 I, I had so much shame that I did that on camera the week after filming it. But then I started to think like why? Like really, really You did experience shame after you Oh you, yeah, you of course. Because you was... nailed it. Like you should have been rocking. <laughs> you should have been like, I crushed that, right? But, but I was thinking, like, what are what are my parents gonna think? What are my family gonna think? How you know what what are what, 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 all what, of that stuff comes back? Yeah, and so and, crazy. and and I and I realized then that the movie really did have to be about my own personal, you know, subjective shame around this because that's that's kind of the only story I knew how to tell, and 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 I just prayed and hoped that uh you know, a gay Asian kid could connect with, with other audiences uh, about his own personal shame. And then, and that, that was, you know, so far it's, it's been just, you know, so heartwarming to hear just people, all different backgrounds, find, you know, a little bit of courage to, to be a little more open in their own lives after watching the film. And that, that's the, that's just the most I could have hoped for. I love it. So near the end of the film, you say, you know, I'm done being ashamed of this stuff i'm going to open up i'm going to explore how, what did that look like after you finished the film how did how did were you more open to online dating or maybe you were already in a relationship like how did you go about doing that i i think you know the, the i'm often asked like so do you feel no more shame about sex and i'm like no no i think shame uh and sex to me are very closely related and they always will be uh just just because of the culture i grew up in the imprinting i have as a as a child um, and often just kind of like you, you were saying, you know, I'll often catch myself judging other people for being too slutty or, right. or being t- too much of a whore or, or I, I, those thoughts will pop into my brain. And, and um, um, it, it's just kind of who I am. But I think what through this process, what I've under what, what, really what I've learned to do is to really at a very deep, deep fundamental understand my biases, understand on my prejudices and catch them when they're happening. Right. You know, uh, and, and recognize that. And, and, and recognize, oh, this is something that just comes back from my past, from my imprinting, from my childhood. Um, this is not really how I really think about these things. It's not really how I think about this person. And, and I think learning how to do that. And then also, I, I think the, the best way for me to, to release shame in a moment is to talk about it. But also, I think it's also to listen to others. You know, I think that's been the biggest learning from this whole process that no matter where anyone is on their journey, you know, you know, even if you are com- incredibly repressed and, 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 uh, incredibly ashamed of sexuality, that's fine. That, that's fine. Um, you know, and in the past I might've said, you know, I might've, you know, been very pushy about that person about t- trying to get them to change. But you know what, now I'm in a place where just listening to people, be that place of non-judgmental listening for people, hearing the myriad of stories, the myriad of sexualities, the, the diversity and, and, and the, 
and all, all the different types of relationships that they're just listening and, and being that safe space for people has released so much of my own shame because when you are in dialogue with someone and someone feels safe enough to open up to you and you can open up to them, then the, the shame is impossible to live in that moment. And I think the more we can all understand how we contribute to the culture of sexual shame that we, that we all in some way do, uh, you know, recognize the best way to do it is, is, is to do that exhausting emotional work of being a non-judgmental listener. You'll be amazed at how the relationship in your life uh, really open up. So you worked on this film, probably started work on it a few years ago. Oh yeah. Many years ago. Many years ago. <laughs> and, but it's now being released more broadly and available for streaming at a uh-huh. time when these conversations are really becoming part of the zeitgeist again, especially yes. around yes. elections. <laughs> what has it been right for you way. to watch this come to the fore again because in uh, some ways i think so haven't sad, we moved yeah. past it like uh, yeah i mean you know in making the film our first frame was shot in 2014 the first audience saw it in 2021 and you know as we were end of the editing process uh, things were getting so much better we, we have this graphic in the film that discusses like the which states have good sex ed and yeah. which states have bad sex ed about that and we had and we had to keep updating that that graphic. It was very expensive for us actually because it kept getting better. Oh, kept, things, things they kept, kept getting, getting better, better, which was good so, news. So it was good, yeah. But but you know, in the last um, two years, especially the last, I'd say six months to a year, things are 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 are, are retreating. You know, it just feel like two steps forward, one step back, and 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 you know, hopefully, um, you know, my my. my in a weird way, this movie was first supposed to be for people my age, young people, really young people. But in a way, this movie has been so much more about parents that, that the, the real core target audience in a way that I didn't anticipate are parents. Because are, 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 just like we were talking about before, parents seem to forget you know, yeah. you know, what, what they need. And, and, and this is just kind of a reminder that, that, that don't you want your child's life to be better than your upbringing was and, and, the, and the shame that you went through and then the culture you went through. And, and, and the only way you do that is by, by letting go a little bit of your own shame to help, help your kids. And, and, and hopefully parents who do see this can, can see the argument for comprehensive sex ed as early as possible, because I think that ultimately parents are the key to unlocking this whole thing. Who's doing sex ed right? <laughs> I, I would say very few countries are doing sex ed right. Um, but I would say, you know, the, the gold standard would, would be Scandinavia. I mean, if you go to on Sweden, they've got it right about so many things. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think they're, they're all of their policies and cultures are designed for, for well-being right. rather than say, uh, um, stockholder, uh, you know, you know, right. They're not uh, motivated profits. by religion necessarily or money. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Some yeah. Of those so, types of things. I mean, Sweden has lots of money. They have yeah. some of the biggest companies in the world. So it, it clearly can work. Um, but 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 they understand um, that it's much cheaper actually to deal with the problems uh, of sex and sexuality by educating kids as early as possible. Because the older you get and the bigger the problems compound, it gets more and more expensive to deal with. And so and so it, to be the kind of most efficient society that we want, comprehensive sex ed definitely has to be a part of that. Yeah, that's interesting. You were one of the first interviews to ever get access to people at Pornhub. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you got to interview uh, somebody from Pornhub. What surprised you about that interview? Um, because you talk about the different searches and things like that. I, I think, I think what I 
was most surprised at is just how boring my actual Pornhub search <laughs> history actually. You, you really need to step it up. It's, you need it's to, quite yeah. mundane. You know, right. you know the the, the 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 things that I thought were the most taboo or controversial. You know, you know, rape, incest, all that. Like, like that's that's just like part and parcel for for most people's you know porn searches. And I think it kind of makes sense, right? Like, like the movies and television I watch also deal with those topics, right? I, I think. You know, it's, you know, uh, I don't know how many violent murder shows I've watched, you know, and how many, you know, um, incredibly, you know, controversial scenarios and all kinds of media. You know, why wouldn't that interest me as well in my pornography? And somehow you think of pornography as like a separate part of the media landscape, but it's all part of the same. And then I think going there really highlights that, you know, your fantasies are one thing, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's fine. It's human. It's, it's great to be curious and, and, and explore. Um, and, and it's probably healthier to do it that way than, than to repress and never think about it and let those, those ideas fester and feel, you feel bad about them. And, and ultimately, you know, just like I never want to, uh, you know, become a vigilante like Batman, or I never want to drive a car like the Fast and the Furious, that, that, I, I have no interest in that. I have no interest in a lot of the fantasies that I search for on Pornhub right. in real life. So, so I think, I mean, that's been such a, a huge weight lift off my shoulder that like a lot of these things, but there, there's also, I think there is something to be said about the, 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 the business behind porn. I think we sh- I think there's a lot of unethical practices that go on in terms of producing porn. Um, but, but, the answer to that question is not to, to ban porn. That's crazy. We've been enjoying, you know, naked, you know, people having sex on cave walls, you know, drawing pictures of that for years. That's just who we are. And, and I think the answer is let, let's just try to make the best porn possible because it's one of the media. It is probably the media we all enjoy all the time, all you know, everywhere. And, and, and why not uh, make that better? Sometimes everybody. I'm watching it thinking, I saw this movie 4,000 times, not the same movie, but it's sort of like <laughs> some, once in a while I'm like, wow, this really never gets old. It really never gets old. It's kind yeah, of amazing that way. Yeah, it's it's exciting, and, and and I think it's been something that uh, you know that 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 um, we need to just help people understand. You know, it's because it, often people turn to porn as their sex education. I sure did. You know, I I didn't had had no idea how two men had sex until watching porn, and and, and because that was my only touch point and because no one was really talking to me about it until i started having sex with men yeah you know you know it, it was a it was it was uh not not a great way to kind of understand what it what it meant to be a sexual being um and the pornhub person talks about the popular searches for women which surprised yeah. me i can't remember what they were off the top of my head but they were surprising right yeah i, I think uh, you know just like uh, I think women are are drawn to murder podcasts. Like I think the majority of women love Dateline and and and, right. and, and true murder documentary, true crime, yeah. right? These these violent, horrific acts. A lot of women are drawn to the same thing in their porn. Um, and I and and you know I I don't want to speak too much because I'm not an expert, but but I think it's just a way to kind of help process and contextualize some of the biggest fears you have. You know, if you can kind of control that in a fantasy it feels less, less, less scary. And it feels a way to actually, you know, deal with the fears you have rather than bottle them up. So your film's been playing on this festival circuit for a while. What's a reaction that you'll always remember? 
<laughs> Either I, I at a festival or somebody emailing you. Is there some you know, a personal reaction that that you're like, wow, that's that's really meaningful? You know, I think one of the biggest laugh lines in, in the movie is my mom calling me a sloppy masturbator at the age of 13, and 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 um, I think just sitting in audiences hearing that kind of like the worst fear a 13 year old could have is to know. be caught masturbating. And to be t- called, and for the world to hear his mother say that he's sloppy, you know, because you're you think you're covering your tracks, you really <laughs> <Right>. do. <laughs> Every time but, you do it, it's like a heist, it's like a bank right. heist. Yeah. I used to smuggle my brother's porns out of his room in my socks, in my tube socks. <laughs> like I, I still think of like it, it's it felt like robbing a bank every time. Right. Bit, very risky, yeah. And then to find and, out and, later, they were like, oh, yeah, we always knew that was what happened. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. And, and they didn't care. And I think, you know, just hearing, just being in a moment where, where we're all laughing at this this funny but relatable thing um, really has been a huge, huge kind of uh, weight lifted in terms of, like, not really being ashamed. You know, maybe I feel shame at, po- at certain points, but not really thinking that I should be ashamed of any part of who I am as a sexual being. Um, it's, it's just been such a, you know, relief really. It's just been yeah. watching with audiences. It's just been a huge relief in a way I never anticipated. Well, the anxiety and shame and terror around that are still like, I could touch it like in my own life. I remember feeling so bad. I was, I remember getting up and, and going to the front room and sitting next to my mom. And I was like, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to tell her that I'm <laughs> masturbating and I feel bad about it. And I didn't. And I look back and I go, thank God you didn't say anything. <laughs> but I, it was really felt like this huge thing that I was doing wrong. Yeah. And I would still have probably have dreams that I get caught. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that would, but, but and that you, would be the worst think, thing in the world if I got caught. Do you think your mom would have even cared? Do you think that it would have been a, an awkward situation? I don't, I don't know. Your parents, I don't know if your mom was a Mormon, it might be different. I, th- I, I, I don't think she would have been, oh, that's normal. She would not have been cool. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if she would have totally shut down. I once asked my yeah. dad what prostitution was, and he didn't even answer. It was during an oh, episode, yeah. <laughs> it was during an episode of Charlie's Angels, and every episode was about prostitution. So you think I need to know that? He didn't answer, and like they, they, we were not good at talking about stuff in yeah. my family. So yeah. I, I can't imagine that it would have been great. I can't yeah. imagine that she would have said, "Oh, that's normal. Everybody does it. Um, mm-hmm. Don't even worry about it." That would, yeah. I don't think that would have happened. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, I don't know, man, what we, we do, what we do to young people by not teaching them about their bodies and loading them up with all this stuff. It's just generation after generation. It just screws people up. I, it, yeah, yeah. It bumps me out. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I do have so much empathy now of thinking of old, the older generations, what they had to go through and, and, that doesn't excuse them or absolve them, I think, of, 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 of um, you know, the way that perpetuates shame in our culture. But I, I do think for some people, um, if you're patient and willing to do the work, um, it is possible to persuade, persuade people and get people to think differently about these things. I know it happened. It happened in my own family. So, so I think, um, you know, I just hope there are some people out there there who who maybe will give their parents a second chance and, and give them a little more credit because i think oftentimes both parent, older parents and younger children are able to handle a lot more than when we give them credit for i love it you know what one of the my favorite parts of the movie is is just you laughing with your parents you guys get yeah. to laughing together 
Yeah. And it's really cute. Like that was, it's kind of like your love language or something. Yeah. I think, you know, much like, you know, I think a big reason I made the film so humorous is because that that's just been such a way that we can to our family has used to connect and, and to, 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 um, maybe deflect at some point. It's a, there's a bit Uh, of a nervousness to it, but it's charming. yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but I, but I think it's, it's something that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, as you can see in the film, I'm very close to my parents and, and, you know, as we, as you get older, the time you have with them is, is so much shorter and it's so much, uh, more difficult to get that real quality time. And so it was very important to me. And I, and I'm so glad we had the artifice of a film to, to sit down and do this. I don't think I would have had the courage to do it if I didn't realize I needed to film it and put it in a movie. Um, but now it, it just feels so great that, that there really feels like nothing is off limits to talk about that the things that we all were tiptoeing around for most of our lives, um, we really don't need to anymore because because we see each other now. We want to see each other now for the full person we are, whatever that looks like. Um, and and you know, I I, I I just can't thank them enough. And I'm just so feel so lucky that they were willing to kind of come with me on this because uh yeah i i I think it it, it could have been a big risk for them to put me sit down with me on camera right they could have been like you know what we're not gonna sign the release you're you're right (laughs) (laughs) or they could i could have who knows how i could have edited them you know i i think it's 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 everyone who sits down in front i have so much respect now for people to do that because you are it's it's a it's a big risk but it looks like it paid off in terms of the relationship and the vibe you have now with your family like oh yeah 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 that's a beautiful thing yeah, right. we, we, we don't talk much about sex. People ask, are you like talking about sex all the time? No, no, no. You know, it, it comes up every once in a while. But but for the most part, our, it just feels like the last kind of big weight of our relationship has been lifted, which which makes everything just so much more easy and, and, and beautiful. Now, were you single at the time you were making the film or for part of it? Or were you? No, 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 no. I, I, I've been in a relationship for, for quite a while. Um, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I talk a lot about. I think that masturbation part, why I had so much shame, why I didn't think about it. You know, I, at that point in my, our relationship, we were living together. We shared a bank account. But I was still hiding, like, when I masturbated around. You know, like, it was yeah. something that I still had pattern to, like, do when he wasn't around or make sure he didn't know about this is someone who's like literally been inside of me. So it's, it's like, why, why, right. what, what is going on? This is so backwards, you know, like this, this universal sexual act is still something I feel shame around, which makes no sense. So I think it's been, you know, it's been really great for me to kind of have gone through this journey to really, and, and, and our relationship now is just so much more open and understanding and and we're really all our cards are on the table you know there's nothing really off the table which is kind of the only way i think a marriage can work if if it has any chance of working and so um yeah i i I just feel like honestly i i feel like there are a lot of people who are just still holding back in relationships they've been in for decades and and that just to me is, is something that i think really should never happen I think it's important to keep an open mind with everything. You, 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 you have no idea how you will change in the course of a relationship. You have, you have no idea really the things that will happen and, and, and the, the, the desires and attractions you'll have. Um, and so to be as patient and non-judgmental about all of everyone around that, it'll just make it so much easier for them to be patient and non-judgmental with you. Um, and so I think it's, it's something that, you know, it, it, it's, it's work in a relationship to, to talk about these things. I, I'm not saying that jealousy doesn't arise. I'm not saying that, 
um, tension doesn't arise. I'm not saying that fights don't happen, but, but it is, you know, in the discussion, in the communication of, of what's really going on that, that you can move through something and get to a place that, you know, I, I never thought I could have gotten to this place where we now just know each other so well and are, are, and are there to support each other in the fantasies we have, the, the sex we want to have, uh, the relationships we want to build. And I think I, I just, it, it feels, uh, you know, like it's like I've, I've won the lottery. It, it, it's something that um, really can, can bring, bring so much meaning to your life. It, it's something that I, I truly believe if you, if you really ignore that, that part of yourself uh, that wants to connect with other people and in, in, in all different kinds of ways, um, you, you're, you're really setting yourself up for, for some, some, some real problems down the road. So, so, so please, uh, do what you can get therapy, whatever it takes, because it's, it's, it's just so beautiful to see the world as a playground and rather than as a, as a, a scary place. You know? Well, and it also sounds like a big part of the journey for you was just the way you were thinking about these things, not necessarily, Am I going out to the sex party? Am I going to do all of this stuff? It was more about your thoughts, right? It was more oh, yeah. about the shame that you would put on thoughts, not just about yourself, but about other people. And it was oh, opening yeah. your mind. Yeah, totally. I, I think I think the first step, if, if you have any hope at all, is to know yourself just so crystal clear and well about every one of your thoughts. Where is it coming from? Why do you think this? Is it something that's serving you? And then getting the tools to like, how do you actually talk about these things with people? Because it's only in the talking about it that you can that you can figure it out. You know, willpower is not going to help. You need someone to to be with to to kind of process these thoughts and emotions. And I think, um, yeah, it's again, it's it is emotionally exhausting at times, but it's it's understanding that, and 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 then once you break yourself down, you can actually live a life of true intention which is difficult, you know, it's still very easy to be reactive to so many, so many things in your life. Um, but, but, you know, it it feels like, like, uh, for the first time in my life and in, in a way I've never felt before, I actually have some sense of power rather than powerlessness, which has been kind of most of my life's experience. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. You spend some time with nudists in the film. There's some yeah. footage. Did you, um, go visit them? Was this like on a at a nudist colony where yeah were you? so it's the it's the lupin lodge resort in the santa cruz mountains wonderful place run by a woman named Lori Kay. um yeah and i think that the purpose of that that montage um you know is, is really born out of me going to day spas in asia and europe where you know families go on a sunday afternoon to just relax at a spa together and it's a community event and 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 me being just so struck that all of us are naked and it's not a big deal. Uh, and two, like the diversity of bodies you see, you're like, oh my gosh, like my whole sense of what is normal in a body is so warped by pornography because right. in America, that's mostly the naked bodies we see. Right. Um, and so I really wanted to put um, that experience into film you know, of me going to these these places where people are casually nude and and show you know the types of bodies that are very common and normal and beautiful and 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 try to showcase that like you we really need to be exposing or no that's not the right way to put put it we really need to be exposed to a diversity of of sex of people and bodies and sexualities Uh, because when you do that then you just become so you just find yourself to be so normal and that's all we really want yeah did you find 
You enjoyed it? Did you did it liberate something in you? Because I, oh, yeah, I went yeah. to a nudist event and I I enjoyed it, but I don't think I was like, oh, I, I'm into this. I want to do. I want to be part of this community. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I don't I don't go to nudist colonies. Uh, yeah. you know, I, or I don't go to nudist resorts like day to day, but. But I do enjoy, you know, when I'm in the spa, you know, I don't, I don't like, I used to be like so careful, like having right. a towel all the time and all, you know, like I think when, once you do it over and over again, it becomes just like a casual thing. Um, you know, you, you just, you don't realize how much you're, you're, you're just constantly scared of revealing yourself. Uh, you know, what will, is my body good enough? It's, it's yeah. such a, at least for me, maybe it's just me being gay male, um, but it's such a ever present fear, and it always will be. I mean, I, I go to the gym every day. It's like clearly a thing that I'm I'm constantly concerned about. But but I think you know it's it's something that that once once I did that, um, you kind of realize that um, it it you start to shift your thinking in terms of like, well, the body I have is actually great. It's amazing. I I can't believe we all get to have these things called bodies that come in different shapes and sizes and we get to experience pleasure and we get to experience connection with it. It's, it's, it's so much more of a tool for our happiness rather than a source of shame. And and it's, it's always going to be a process. I mean, how how can you live in a modern culture and not have some body shame or body dysmorphia? But, but I think um, it, it, you know, as much as you can to be as naked with as many people as you can, uh, in casual contexts, I think it does, does, does the mind good. I went to a naked game night and mm-hmm. here was my takeaway. I didn't feel like snacking. <laughs> there were snacks and I didn't feel like snacking when I was naked. If I had been closed, if I had been closed, I would have been all over those Oreos. Like I, something about being naked that made me not want to snack. I don't know. That's a profound. I get that. No, I get right? that. I, I don't know why that, the, the crumbs, or I don't know what it was. All right, <laughs> you picked a few questions from the observation deck. Um, we talked about your family in the piece. What TV show would your parents not let you not let you watch? Oh, I, I was not allowed to watch most television, other than I'd say PBS um, until I get older. And I think um, you know everything from The Simpsons and South Park were forbidden, and 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 um, you know it wasn't until much later in life, maybe like high school that they that they really let things open up yeah. they let things open up was there ever anything you were like snuck and was like oh, i'm so excited. oh everything everything oh, everything I was yeah in your I own was, house or would you go to your uh, yeah house? i was i i was um you know because i learned how to pro- i program learned how to program a server early for that very purpose right or i was recording things without them realizing and, and and first thing i do after school rush home and watch as much as i can yeah right before okay you're sneaky yeah, it's like a message it. for parents you you can never stop what your kids are going to be into right. you can, all you'll do is make them hide from you so the alternative is always better to just be open about it and and, and let your kids be who they are and and that way you at least you can see what they're actually doing yeah i agree when was a time you gave into peer pressure (laughs) uh like last weekend (laughs) yes what did you do Um, you know it's it's you know you're you're with friends you're at a party you know extra drink um, would you want to smoke some weed? You want to do all this stuff? You know, you know, and you're like, no, no, I got earlier. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I got to get easy, no. easy, uh, easy, easy thing to do. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, um, if, if you have the right peers and, 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 and you're, you have the good friends, uh, hopefully the pressure that, that you give into ultimately serves you well in the end. Yeah. I like it. Um, when was the first time you saw a dirty magazine or video? 
Um, I think the first time, I, I want to say I was nine or ten. Okay. Um, uh, my friend Daryl's dad, uh, we found his um, cupboard of Playboys and, and VHSs. Is there anything more exciting than finding somebody's porn stash? I feel like um, there should be a chorus of angels yeah. that, that <laughs> it was, accompany it. It was like a, a, a you know third grade, fourth grade must see TV event. We all went over. Yes. Uh, we all watched it. Uh, we so all it was, laughed. It was, and, laughed it was and videos. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And I wouldn't say. I mean, it was it, it was straight. Um, but but I would say it was more just like a. a it wasn't necess- at that age. We weren't necessarily aroused, or it wasn't necessarily erotic. It was just kind of like <gasps> shocking and and, right. and, and can and you funny. believe this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, but the the yeah. the kids bonded over their adventure. It was like a yes, yes, and and I'm not, that started me to understand that like there's this world out there, this 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 media landscape of pornography that I had no idea existed. Yeah, so wild. Um, <laughs> back to your movie, I I want to know what that scan looks like visually, the one that's on the cover of the magazine. What is it? Is it colorful? Is it? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, it's it's does it look like, like it an looks X-ray. Like, you, you've seen a yeah, it looks like an X-ray. So oh, cool. you've seen a brain. You know, you know, kind of what a brain looks like. You can see yeah. kind of my skull, and then you can see different parts that are like, you know, activated, activated, like red, orange for activated, and like purple, blue for not. Yeah. So, so I'm really interested in it. So, it's actually, on my Instagram, actually. If you, if you oh, know. all right, I'll check it out. Yeah. So, is uh, what is your Instagram, by the way? Uh, that's my personal one. So it's yeah. Alexander X L I U, all one word. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. <laughs> but one of the experts says that when that ha- when when humans have an orgasm, that that the activation, like what what the brain looks like, is kind of like spectacular to see. Yeah, yeah. All parts of the brain are activated. It's a rare event in which everything uh, you know comes alive. So so it's it's. I mean, it's kind of. Uh, I, I can't think of anything else that, that kind of any other moment of transcendence really than the moment of orgasm it's it's right. it's uh it's something that uh just feels fucking amazing well i am watching the j-lo netflix documentary later so <laughs> i think if they did an mri my brain might <laughs> It'd be that. similar I'm, I'm into it i've been hearing good things anyway um tell people how they can find your movie oh yeah so if you go to sexplanation.com we'll have all the links it's streaming somewhere in the world where you are except if you live in North Korea or China, um, you know, you can find it. And, uh, um, yeah. And, and, and if you follow us on social media and all the platforms at a explanation, one word, um, you'll see all the cool things that are coming up in the next year. I love it. So you have a production company with, with mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the other filmmaker that worked on this with you. Yeah. Leonardo Neri. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my final question, why do you make films? Um, the ultimate thing I, I, I'm trying to do with my work is, to help people process and understand their own morality in a way that comports more with, with their humanity. I, I think so much of the values we hold are, are not to make us happy whole human beings. They're there to serve different agendas. Um, and, and I think the best way to do that is through entertaining, engaging, humorous stories uh, to get people to really understand who they are in a way that they maybe didn't otherwise. And, and, and film is kind of the best way to do that. If, if you can empathize and love a story, uh, you can see the world in a whole different way. And so, and so that, that's kind of what I'm hoping to do with my work. Uh, that's beautiful. Um, Alex, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, good oh, luck yes, with, likewise. Good luck with the movie as it rolls out uh, broader. Thank and you. Thank everything you. else that you're working on. And enjoy farm life. What's your favorite little farmy, uh, small, uh, like uh, out in the country thing to do? 
What have you so, discovered? We're, well, we're on we're on a, a Finger Lake, so so it's been great to get on the water. It's been great to kayak and boat and and all that. And I don't um, even know what a Finger Lake is. It's, a, it's just a lake. It's, it's a it's these lakes in New York that look that that are very north to south and very long but ah, narrow. Right, they look um, like penises. If we're being honest, yes, yeah, yes, penis possibly. lakes. Okay, um, and uh, they're formed by the same it's the same geological function that form the Great Lakes. They're just okay, like, kind of like yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, getting out in the water has been something that's been great. Um, meeting cows, and I, I now love love cows. Uh, and 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 um, yeah, it's at least now in the summer it's beautiful. Oh, I love it. It sounds lovely. So this was super fun, Alex. Congrats yes. on the movie. And thank you, thank uh, I look forward to what you're doing next. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Alex Liu. Check out his movie, A Sexplanation, at asexplanation.com. All right. So this happened very busy weekend last weekend. Um, I went to Madonna Summer. Uh, Mark and Jason, the uh, guests that we had on the podcast a little while ago, were the perfect hosts. It was a great dance party, a great fun night out. Loved it. But before that, I went to an outdoor screening at a friend's place of the classic movie called Summerstock with Gene Kelly and Judy Garland. And I had never seen it before. And the takeaways are Gene Kelly is so beautiful in it. He's like... You just want to lick him. He's just such a beauty. And I've always loved him and thought he was an amazing dancer and performer, but I never thought he was like a beauty, and he's a beauty in this. And Judy Garland is, you know, transcendent as always. Um, and this is the show, the movie where she does Come On, Get Happy, which I remember from researching Judy Garland for a, a Imagine Life podcast that I wrote. This uh, this number was added much later and, and filmed like three months later, and she she had lost weight, but it ended up being sort of the most enduring part of the movie. The plot is preposterous. It's <laughs> She's a farmer who's, who's struggling to get by. She inherited the farm from her parents. Her sister shows up, and her sister wants to be an actress, and her sister has volunteered the family barn for them to mount their show. So this show just takes over their barn. It's, it's so weird. It's like, um, it's like somebody showing up at your house and saying, I want to stage a soccer game in your aquarium. It just doesn't make any sense. But And Judy Garland's at one point, she's like, this is a farm. Like, But they go, everyone's with it. This is the goofiest premise in the whole world. Everyone buys in. Um, but, you know, just the point is, if you have a big building somewhere, a whole troupe of show people might show up and try to put on a show for several weeks uh, that will eventually go to Broadway because producers show up at farms. I don't know. It's preposterous. And so the next night was the Tony Awards. I watched at my friend Glenn's place with my friends Glenn and Danny. Uh, we all love theater. We're all into it. <laughs> there was something that happened that makes me laugh so hard. I can't even... Whenever I think about it, I, it just makes me... It tickles me so much. Okay, so Billy Crystal's nominated for Mr. Saturday Night. He comes out and he does this number from the show. And it has this audience interaction shtick where he's doing Yiddish and going back and forth. And... It, I had a flashback from when I was in high school. I was in speech and drama, and I was looking for a cutting to do or a play or something, and I read some sketch that somebody, one of the characters said, oy vey, and I had no idea what it meant. I thought, is it a swear word? Is it a, is it, I knew it was sort of, I knew nothing about Jewish people. I, I don't think I'd ever met a Jewish person. I just didn't know what it was. I was like, I, it was the most foreign, exotic thing, and if we, if we did this, was it edgy? Would we get in trouble? Could we say oy vey? What does it mean? I don't even know what it means. And my friend Danny goes, I think I can top that. And I was like, what do you mean? 
And so he told a story that made me laugh so hard that I actually asked him to record it into my voice recorder, and I'm going to have him tell the story now. All right, I was talking with my cousin, and he said oy vey something in oy vey, and I, I invented that. What? I, did. I invented oy vey. I thought, as a kid, I had invented oy vey, because it, it sounds like nonsense that <laughs> I made up. And then my cousin reminded me that we heard it in the Reader's Theater just a few weeks prior. I thought, oh, yeah. You thought that you, but you would, you had been using it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oy vey. Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> I feel like the dog peed in the house. Oy vey! Yeah, I feel like some people owe you some money for that, or there's. I feel like you might have a case. Uh, no, I, I realized later. I, 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 I didn't I, invent I, it. I didn't invent it. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So that's Danny's story. <laughs> He's never gonna live it down. I'm like he invented oy vey. Uh, and he still wish it's the it's the running joke that I don't think will ever die. Um, you know, because I feel like sometimes like if he gets down on himself for, you know, not doing doing an audition or something, I'd say, you know what? You invented Oy Vey. I think you've contributed enough to the world. So give yourself a break. Anyway, that's enough for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, before I let you go, I want to give a shout-out to AJ Sousa for the mixing on the show. Uh, JB Bercy does his technical support on that end, loads the show up, which I really appreciate. My theme music is composed by Mark Daniels and licensed through Placement Music. We'll see you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.